Good morning, Grace Gospel Church. We're continuing where we left off last week. Uh, We're in Hebrews chapter 11. We're talking about faith. Now remember that faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. It is understanding the guarantee of God's promises so strongly that we trust and act in them now, even before they're fully present. Persevering and living like the word of God is true, because indeed it is. And so the author has been showing through this rich Jewish history in the Old Testament that God always honors faith. There's the light. I was, I was wondering, I was like, the notes look a little different today. Um, God always honors faith. And, and God is revealed as being the rewarder of faith and the one who trusts in his word. That it'll, it'll never It'll never be a bad thing for you in the end if you have faith in God. And so the author takes a look at the past to prove this point. We saw already many stories of faith last week, and the author continues with even more examples of faith that was seen in the Old Testament. And through this look to the past, the the author intends to invoke a faith in God for the future. Faith in the sure theology concerning Jesus Christ that has previously been explained by the author throughout this this letter. Faith to endure the persecution that they are currently facing and trust in God's word. Trust that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That, in the end, all the promised blessings would indeed be theirs despite what things look like. And yes, this is a message for us as well. Life can look hard. Things can often look grim. I mean, you observe just the the political landscape around, and it it seems like persecution and difficulties could very well be something that we encounter in our lifetime. It's not far-fetched to say that businesses could be shut down, property could be lost, and we could experience similar trials to, to what the Hebrew people were facing during this time. And moreover, even now in in other nations, people are dying for Jesus Christ. Will we stand on the truth of God's word or will we falter? Will we believe in Jesus Christ that he is the son of God? That he is the exclusive and the full revelation of God who created all things and is higher than all things and came in the flesh and died for us and rose again and established a new covenant in his blood? Is that that something that we believe and that we will pursue in faith despite what it may cost us? God wants you to know that if you do this, if you pursue in faith this truth, that blessings are yours. God wants you to know that all his promised blessings are yours if you just believe and trust him. Do not falter. Do not be discouraged Hold fast to Christ by faith. Again, this is part, part two. Hold fast to Christ by faith. The same, same idea as last week. He will not let you down. Let's, let's read the word and see uh, what else we can learn concerning these additional examples that the author goes into in Hebrews. If you're able, would you, still, uh, would you please rise for the reading of God's word? The word of the Lord says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He had received the promise, 
promises, yet he was ready to offer up his only son. God had told him, through Isaac's descendants, uh, through Isaac's descendants will carry on your name. And he reasoned that God could even raise him from the dead. And in a sense, he received him back from there. By faith, also Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the future. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped as he leaned on his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave instructions about his burial. By faith, when Moses was born, his parents hid him for three months because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, when he grew up, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. He regarded abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than treasures of Egypt than the treasures of Egypt for his eyes were fixed on the reward by faith he left Egypt without fearing the king's anger for he persevered as though he could see the one who is invisible by faith he kept the passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the one who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as if on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried it, they were swallowed up. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people marched around them for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute escaped the destruction of the disobedient because she welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For the time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David, and Samuel, and of the prophets. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, put foreign armies to flight. And women received back their, raised, their dead raised to life, but others were tortured, not accepting release, to obtain resurrection to a better life. And others experienced mocking and flogging, and, the chains, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawed apart, murdered with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and openings in the earth. And these all were commended for their faith, yet they did not receive what was promised. For God had provided something better for us, so that they would be made perfect together with us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this word. God, we pray that you would see fit to have this word shine brightly in our hearts this morning, that we would be transformed by the power of your word, that, we would, that, that you would glorify yourself this morning, Lord, and we would be transformed, leaving this place changed and people who are acting in faith. God, would, would you see fit for this to happen for your name's sake, that, that you may be glorified? Lord, we pray uh, for, for the miracle, for you, the Holy Spirit, the teacher of truth, to allow this to happen, Lord, in your grace. God, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The author of Hebrews has stated what faith is, given multiple examples of faith, and explain the hope and testimony of faith is something that, that looks to the future. And now in verse 17, he begins to unload even more examples of faith. 
In fact, verse 32 that we read implies that this list is not even exhaustive. He, he is really proving this point, the, the point that God always honors faith, that faith has always been an integral part of, of, of how God operates with humanity. And he honors faith. And so we see the rest of the chapter, example after example of Old Testament faith, and then he wraps up talking about faith's per perfection, the completion brought about by Christ. So let's look at some of these examples of faith. Let's start by looking at the patriarchs that he mentions. He starts with Abraham, verse 17, by faith when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He had received the promises, yet he was ready to offer up his only son. Here the authors mentioned Abraham. Abraham, he was told to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham, you see, was put in a position to act upon his faith. And, and there was a real tension there. Verse 18 tells us that, that Isaac was to carry his name. This was the son of the promise that God had made with Abraham. He had received the promise, it said in verse 17. And now here is a test to offer him up to see if Abraham truly believed what God had said. What makes faith tangible, what makes faith more than lip service, is the testing of faith. I heard this really great uh, illustration, I, I use this, I've probably used it before, of, of how faith is tested and how it operates. Um, and it, it traditionally goes like this back when the two towers were still standing, right? Huge, tall towers in New York, right? And there's a thin rope that goes between the two towers. And there's a, there's a guy up there with a wheelbarrow, and he's going back and forth back and forth, and you're, you're there, and you're looking at this, thing and you're just amazed. Wow, look at what this person is doing. That's amazing. And you, ask, you can ask that person, do you, do you believe that he can do it? Yeah, of course, I can see him do it right there. Faith tested. Real faith that is acting means getting in the wheelbarrow. Faith will be tested to see if, if it is genuine, to see if it is, if it is real. And in this case, uh, Abraham certainly passed that test. He did have faith. I'm, and I'm not sure if there is such a thing as untested faith. It seems rather that, that testing and trials prove that faith is genuine. The trial proved that Abraham's faith in, in, in God was genuine. Trials tend to weed out fakers. It's not a strange thing that the author is mentioning this. He's given several warnings regarding the ingenuine faith of, of those who have faced trials and they, they're tested and faces persecution and then they shrink away. And he, he's given warnings against those, those people. And he, he's reassuring now the Jewish audience that testing of faith is something to be expected. It is in fact an opportunity, if, if I may, to get into the wheelbarrow of God's promises. And, and so this persecution that they were facing, it was an opportunity to prove the genuity of their faith, the, the, the genuineness of their faith. And friends, whatever persecution and trial you are facing is too an opportunity for you to stand firm on God's word and, and to get in the wheelbarrow and to believe the promise of God. 
What do you do when, when, when testing comes? What you do is important. It will, either, it will either prove the the genuineness of your faith or it will disprove the genuineness of your faith. It's essentially the old phrase, right? Put your money where your mouth is. When it costs you something, when, when it's uncomfortable, you know that was going to cost Abraham quite a bit. I'm sure that was an uncomfortable situation, right? I think that's needless to say. When, when the trials come, real faith has an opportunity to shine. Friends, when tests and trials come, don't shrink back. Continue to trust in the promises of God. Such trials will only prove your faith. Trust in God. Faith, faith is bound to be tested. But also faith trusts in what seems impossible, that the, the, the measure and the level of this trust, look at, look at what it says, verse 18, God had told him through Isaac, descendants will carry on your name, and he reasoned that God could even raise him from the dead, and in a sense received him back from there. Pay, pay attention to how Abraham is reasoning here. First, he remembers what God said, through Isaac, not Ishmael, not some other child. Through Isaac, descendants will carry on your name. He's remembering the, the word that God had spoken to him, the promise. And, and here's what's interesting. Normal human reasoning here, uh, if, if Isaac's already alive, if that, that Isaac's already born, and you know, oh, that's the kid who, who's going to carry the name. God promised that to me. Then really everything is dependent on keeping him alive. That, that's like priority number one in human reasoning. That, that makes sense. But this is not how Abraham necessarily reasoned. Remember, God's ways are higher than our ways. Sometimes our reasoning can, can have a lapse. Abraham, though, here rightly reasons by assuming that God is all-powerful and always keeps his word and so can even raise Isaac from the dead. He has faith not in the external object of the promise, Isaac himself. He has faith in the promise giver. He has faith in God. This faith that, that God could do the impossible, impossible. It really shows, by the way, that, that Abraham's faith wasn't in Isaac. It was in God. It was in the character and the nature of who he, who he is. He knows, hey, God is too good to lie. He gave me this promise, and he is too powerful to have death be a setback. And so he, he in faith, offered up Isaac. You know, we like to sound really smart sometimes. We use these words like omnipotence and omniscience and omnibenevolence, right? All words that mean all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, right? We use all these words, and then we tap ourselves on the back, and then we, we sound really smart, you know? Faith, friends, demands that we really believe these things as more than just Christian lingo words. It is a reality, the God I speak of this morning really is all-powerful. Would you, would you pause and just think about that? That he can raise our, our loved ones who have passed up from the dead. That he can raise us up from the dead. It's a reality. Would you bank on God's goodness this morning? Would you bank on God's power? Would you get in that wheelbarrow? 
Friends, if if we die, we will live because we truly serve an all-powerful God. He truly will keep his word because he is all good. Whatever persecutions you face, whatever is spoken in the Bible will necessarily come to pass, no matter what, no matter how grim things look. There, There will be a new resurrection body. There will be an eternal state of glory with Christ who is our Savior. What seems impossible by mere human reasoning ought to take into account the infinite power and goodness of God. These things make even what seems impossible a certainty for us, friends. I pray we trust trust in him. I pray we have faith in that, that God. Next we see, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the future. Now, this is, this is interesting Genesis 25, verse 23, we see God speak to Rebekah concerning her children. It says, two nations are in your womb, and the older will serve the younger. And this is sort of counterintuitive, especially for, for them and their culture. That's not at all how their culture worked. They were a patriarchal system where the firstborn would get everything. They would get the blessing. The older was always the one to receive the blessing. And now we know that Isaac had every intention of blessing the older Esau. We all know the story of Isaac's blessing. Rebekah and Jacob, they actually tricked uh, Isaac into blessing Jacob, the younger son, instead of the firstborn Esau. So, so thinking of this, all this background, my initial reaction was, how on earth is this an example of faith? And I was, I was a little confused. And to understand how this is an example of faith, we need to understand this from their, their culture. During this period of ancient patriarchal blessings, they considered that the Father's blessing was prophetic in nature, that that God was speaking through the, the Father, the patriarch, of things concerning the future, things to come, and that it was sure. And so even though Isaac had this initial reluctance in his own reasoning, and he would have blessed Esau if he had known everything, once things played out, Isaac knew that he was going to trust God for the outcome. You see, you couldn't just take back that kind of prophecy. That's that's not how it works back then. And in Genesis 27, verses 33 to 37, make it clear that what was done was done. Verse 33 in, in Genesis 27, it says, And he, that is Jacob, shall be blessed. That's what Isaac says. Isaac says in verse 37, responding to Esau, Behold, I have made Jacob your master, and I have given to him all his relatives as servants, and with grain and new wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son Esau? You see, even though this wasn't necessarily how Isaac envisioned it or even wanted it, after it was done, Isaac trusted God with what had happened. He trusts God with the future. He knows the promise is still valid, even though this is not necessarily how I envisioned it. He knew that the promise would still come to pass. And again, in that that culture, that firstborn was to carry on that name. They were to have that blessing. And when that prophetic word changed and went against that cultural paradigm, it did not at all forfeit God's promise. Even though things didn't work out how he had thought, Isaac still had faith that God knew what he was doing. And he exhibits that in his words to Esau, saying, what is done is done. Let me just say, 
Sometimes we like to micromanage. We like to control every aspect, every part of our lives and the lives of others. Try to control the whole universe that God is running. There's a fine line between earthly wisdom and godly wisdom, and I believe that line is faith that God has the future all figured out. Faith in his sovereign rule. There's a faith that trusts God with the future. Yes, we ought to be wise. But when God changes the plan, when God changes your plan, do you still trust him? Is your faith still strong? Do you trust that he, he and his sovereign power will bring about what he has promised? And he does not need our insight to do it. When you envisioned it happening a certain way and the plans change, do you still trust that he's faithful for the outcome? When you, you hoped for a long and healthy marriage and your spouse dies and everything just doesn't look the way it should in your head, would you still trust him? Would you still put faith in the promises found in his word? Would you believe that there is a heavenly, eternal city promised for you and that he knows what he is doing with your life? Far better than we do. Faith is going to believe God for the future. Next, we see that faith blesses others. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And as the, the author goes through the patriarchal line, now we have Jacob giving blessing towards the end of his life. Again, this is a special prophetic time where the patriarch was a conduit of God's blessing during this, during this time. During this time, the patriarchal blessing was, was, again, from the Lord. This was something from the Lord. Now, a few words of this idea of, of blessing here in this context. The blessing, again, came from God in accordance with his will, his provisions, and came through Jacob as a conduit. Thus, I believe that true faith in God results in us, too, being conduits of God's blessing. Do you see, see what it entails? By faith, says the text, Jacob's blessed. This was not faith in Jacob's guarantee uh, or Jacob's ability to guarantee it. He was old and dying, it says. It was faith in God's ability to bring about God's plan. It is faith in God's plan and God's provision that enabled Jacob to become a conduit of blessing for others. And friends, you too can bless others if you would just believe in what the Word says. If you would bless others with God's truth. Sometimes we like to, to try to bless others and we like to maybe get a little creative and use our earthly wisdom. Bless, bless others with what God has spoken. Again, this was done through the patriarchal prophecy during this time. But friends, we too can have faith in God's provisions and declare truth over one another. We really have faith in God. It should result in us becoming a similar conduit of God's blessing to those around us. You and I, friends, also get to act in faith in, in God and his plans and his provisions and become conduits for blessing others. Uh, it is amazing how when you believe God's word truly, you believe his promises, you're free to bless those around you. When we truly believe that God has infinite provisions and is all perfect and his sovereign plan is, is coming about, that he communicated to us through his word, I can start to declare 
blessings and truth that will necessarily come to, to pass. You know, we have holy Bibles that reveal a certain future, that everything written in it is true upon which we can, we can act as blessers. We can know, for example, that God's going to take care of us, as it says in Matthew 6. And so we're free to be generous. Open up our Bibles, friends, is the point. Open up the Bible, see what God says in there, and then through that, through that truth, start acting as a blesser. Start, start believing that truth and having it affect not just your life, but the, the lives of others around you as well. We can encourage one another with the promises of God. There is no greater blessing than that. So faith will also bless others. Faith worships God. By faith as he was dying, Jacob, he worshipped as he leaned on his staff. Now worship in this Judaic system was one which usually involved a lot of activity and a lot of action. There were sacrifices and there were rituals. But here the author says, by faith, Jacob worshipped. The instrumentation of his worship here is just faith in God. There's a trust and an ascribing to God greatness. There's a meditation in the heart of Jacob that is taking place by faith. There is an attitude of acknowledgement of God as a source of all goodness and all blessing. And this worship is done, in this case, not by slaughtering animals, but it is done by faith. I mean, Jacob, he's, he's old. He's dying. He needed to lean, but by faith, he worships God, trusting that God is who he says he is, and he is meditating on his wondrous ways. This worship was done from a place of weakness, on a deathbed, and nothing else to offer, and Jacob worshiped by faith. And again, think about who the author is writing to, those with this Jewish background. He is trying to show them the supremacy of faith that they are too to have in their worship of God, not works. And faith that is to be put in Christ's work that he's previously described. When we worship God, he is satisfied, not because we bring anything to the table, but because we worship in faith that Christ has done the work. Friends, worshiping God is to be done by faith. Faith in what? Not our actions, not our, our sacrifices, not our abilities. Again, it is faith simply in Jesus Christ that he alone makes our praises acceptable to God. Faith worships God. Faith is also lifelong. This can be implied here. It says, by, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, Faith, remember, is not a one-time decision. Faith endures and it persists until the very end of one's life. Faith is a lifestyle. Faith is lifelong. Recall even Jacob in verse 21. He was old and dying and had faith even in those latter years as well. And now, too, we see Joseph had faith at the end of his life. Now, again, what's, what's interesting is Joseph had a whole lot of examples that the author could have used here. I mean, Joseph had such a robust faith, even in prison. 
doesn't mention that here. Instead, the author chooses to focus on Joseph at the end of his life to reiterate that faith is this lifelong process. And that the, the smallest amount thing, things of, of the smallest faith, even at the end of your life, you might not be able to do too much anymore, but the, even those acts of faith at the end of your life can vibrantly speak volumes concerning who God is. And again, remember, this is, this is lifelong. The Jewish audience who at one point declared with their mouth, said, I believe in Jesus. They, they said it at one point. And if they really did believe in Jesus and that he came, that he died and rose again, then they needed to hold on to that and have faith in that truth that, that, that lasted their whole life. Not only, well, only God really knows who are his. And I'm not saying that this doesn't mean that faith is always super strong or that faith uh, isn't something that we struggle with sometimes, but it does mean that faith will be pervasive, lifelong reality. All, you know, all of my friends in, in high school at one point declared with their mouths, Jesus alone is Lord, but at some point, most of them forsook that truth, that he is exclusively Lord. They embraced odd, odd doctrines of pluralism. They did what was sort of easy, what culture kind of taps you on the back for. That's not what faith looks like. Faith holds fast to the truth to the very end of our lives. And I want to be the kind of person that when I'm, when I'm dying can still live by faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. Faith is a lifelong thing. We also see that faith remembers God's word. By, by faith, Joseph mentioned the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave instructions about his burial. In Genesis chapter 50, we see this account uh, of, of Joseph speaking. In verse 24, it says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will assuredly take care of you and bring you up from this, from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will assuredly take care of you and you shall carry my bones from here. Joseph wanted to emphasize that there was still a promise that was to be theirs. Even at the end of, of his life, he's remembering this promise that God had spoken to him. Joseph, too, believed that he would see and dwell in the land that the Lord had promised to him, even though he was about to die. He says, move my bones there. Don't forget the promise. Friends, when you're struggling, don't forget the promise. Open your Bible. See what it says. He remembered God's word and he banked on it and lived like it was true and he died like it was true. By faith, he mentioned and gave instructions about his burial. Friends, our lives too should remember God's word. Our lives should be ones that anticipate God's promises with certainty that they will come to pass. And this should affect everything. This should affect how we behave in our places of employment. It should affect our marriages. It should affect our finances. It, it should affect what happens even as death approaches our door. Brothers and sisters, remember God's word and live like it is true because it is. 
we too can go out with the confidence and faith that Joseph exhibits here. And friends, some of you, again, might say, and this sort of goes back with the last point, you know, I'm too old. What difference could I possibly make? Again, let me just say, faith exhibited by those approaching death remembering God's word when when it comes right down to the wire and believing in it. Those are perhaps the most powerful examples of faith. Again, this is how I want to go out, banking on the promises of God, anticipating their reality. Faith remembers God's word. Let's move on to examine the faith of, of Moses. It says, By faith, when Moses was born, his parents hid him for three months because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Here now we see faith, not necessarily the faith of Moses, but the faith of his parents who had hid him for three months. Now this is an incredible act of faith that that is opposed to a king's edict. They feared God over man. They believed what God had to say more than what the king had to say, and the consequences. They saw, and I love the the reason, they saw that Moses was beautiful, that the child was beautiful. They saw inherent human value of, of this baby who's made in God's image, and they chose to honor God through loving and protecting their child, through through going about their parental duties, right? They chose to do that even though the king had this edict. Faith will always be obedient to do the right thing, even when earthly authority tells you otherwise. Friends, we need to, again, this is important for us to consider, again, of the future. We don't know what's in store for us. We know it certainly applies to countries where there's great persecution. When an authority tells you something contrary to God's word, tells you to behave or do something contrary to God's word, and that if you don't, there's a consequence, we need to have the kind of faith that Moses' parents had. If we right now had had the government come in and shut us down for some reason, you know, you better believe that there's going to be a secret church meeting somewhere. And I hope you're all all there. I don't know where it would be or how to get word out, but that's the plan, Right? (laughs) on recording, so it might not be fantastic. If it does happen, they'll be able to track us and stuff, but that's okay. We'll, we'll do it anyway. You better believe that by faith we will continue to proclaim the gospel con- with authority continually. And if it means fines, if it means prison, if it means death, we will honor the word of God above man. We will fear God, not fear man. That's what it says, says in Scripture. It says, Why do you fear the one who can just destroy the body? Fear God, the one who can destroy the body and the soul. If there is one person who we are to recognize as the authority, it is the Lord. And if he says, preach and proclaim, we need to do that at all costs. You know, whenever you are afraid of the world, it's indicative that you've lost sight of who God is. Moses' parents, they knew by faith God, and they they did by faith the right thing, even when it meant possible death and consequences and trouble. Faith makes the difficult decision of identifying with God. By faith, when he grew up, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasures. 
Here we see that what, how, how faith operates when given this choice. Moses had an, an easy opportunity to live like royalty, to live like the son of Pharaoh's daughter, as, as royalty for his whole life. This is like being the child of a billionaire. No worry of starvation. No worry of, of issues of where I'm going to sleep tonight. And moreover, servants serving you. Riches. You snap your fingers, you get whatever you want. That was Moses' reality in Egypt. But by faith, he gave up that easy life to identify with the people of God, says the scripture. Because he knew deep inside that being part of God's people was worth far more than all of the riches of Egypt. Moses chose to be ill-treated rather than enjoy sin's fleeting pleasures. That wouldn't last. Again, think of the Jewish audience. They're faced now with an opportunity to take it easy, to, to avoid that persecution. However, this would be at the cost of living in the reality of the glorious revelation of Jesus Christ as the high priest for them. The author of Hebrews is saying, live by faith in the reality of Jesus. Don't just do the easy thing. Sin's pleasures are fleeting. Everyone on earth right now might be trying to convince you with earthly wisdom to do the easy thing, to get more money, to collect the most toys at all costs. No, don't do the easy thing, friends. Do the right thing. Do the thing that, that God wants you to do. Do the hard thing. Church, don't just do the easy thing. The easy thing is to shrink away and live a life of ease that is void of faith. If the life of ease means rejecting Jesus and living as if the revelation of Christ isn't real, choose to suffer. Choose ill treatment. All of the earthly treasures will fade. Every billionaire will one day be parted from their money. Earthly things cannot be the driving force behind what we do. An easy life is not necessarily a good life. All the earthly pleasures will rot and perish, it says elsewhere in scriptures. But the heavenly reward is imperishable. It is worth far more than any, anything loss that we would suffer in this life. Faith realizes suffering for, for God brings future reward. Verse 26, he regarded abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For his eyes were fixed on the reward. Moses was able to reject this life of ease, to, to stare riches and power and, and honor in the, in the face and reject that because he knew that there was a life of greater wealth than that. And some might say that, oh, his decision to leave Egypt is kind of stupid. But let it be known that such a conclusion is temporal worldly wisdom, wisdom that does not account for heavenly eternal things. This sort of worldly way is not at all to be confused with genuine wisdom. Again, we know genuine, true, godly wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, recognizing God. Remember, he gave up but fleeting pleasures, according to verse 25. And now in verse 26, he's receiving greater wealth, something imperishable, something forever satisfying, something worth giving up everything for. Something infinitely better that could fulfill 
his purpose, who he was. And look at what was in mind. Moses had not even more gold in mind. He said, oh, I'm leaving Egypt to go get even more physical gold. It says that Moses regards suffering, regarded suffering for Christ. Messiah to himself is the greater wealth. That is what he is suffering for. Infallible scripture says he suffered for Christ. Anticipating the joyous revelation of God. Anticipating true salvation. That revelation of Christ was worth far more to Moses than anything else. And likewise for the Hebrews reading this letter. Christ was to be worth far more than any, any, anything that they were suffering. Any of the loss that they were suffering. An infinite treasure is our Lord And likewise, for us here right now, Christ should be worth more than anything. Worth more than our jobs, worth more than our houses, worth more than our status. He himself is the great wealth. Friends, I invite you to forsake the fleeting pleasures of sin, the fleeting pleasures of this world, and embrace something greater. Embrace something that satisfies your soul. Embrace the great treasure that is Jesus Christ. You know, I hear, uh, you know, I, I'll be sharing sometimes with, with people my age and some, uh, I just, uh, this, I, I enjoy my sin. I don't want to change. So I'm going to hold on to this. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. You are holding yourself back from, from great joy in Jesus Christ, from an eternal joy, from a greater wealth. Would you believe that, that that is in Christ, that is found in him? The eternal, would you let him be the eternal treasure of your heart? Delight in him, partake in him, live in him, die for him, fix your eyes on the reward to come. It is sure there is no greater reward, no greater wealth. Faith realizes suffering for God brings future reward. It also braves possible repercussions and and it perseveres through them. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt without fearing the king's anger, for he persevered as though he could see the one who is invisible. Again, recall uh, verse 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of that which we do not see. Here we have Moses persevering as though he could see the one who is invisible. It's so real that he doesn't even fear Pharaoh's anger. The invisible God for Moses was more real than Pharaoh. In his army, in his military, literally massive military forces are at Pharaoh's commands. And Moses says, I will persevere because even though I see all that, there is a clearer picture, a more sure reality. And it is in God. I am more certain of the one who is invisible. Some of us live in fear and use worldly wisdom that seeks this life of ease because we're really afraid of earthly powers and authorities and all of this stuff. But faith will brave these possible repercussions and persevere in light of the view of God. If you're persevering by anything else, you're not going to persevere very long. You'll, You'll give up. You need to persevere as though you can see the one who is invisible. Persevere by by focusing on the Lord, focusing on God. He hears a principle The greater the view of God, the less fear of the world. We will never overcome fear of this world's wicked systems until we realize how big God really is. 
Compared to God, Egypt was nothing. Compared to God, every nation and their nukes and their military are absolutely nothing. Nothing can stop God. And if this infinite God calls you his own, let them try. Let them, let them kill you. I pray this sort of faith characterizes our life. Friends, if you're tired of living in fear, pick up your Bibles. Read about this great God. See, see who he is. Believe in that. And persevere in who he is. Faith keeps God's commands by faith. He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the one who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. Again, the same sort of principle is at play here. God is to be viewed highly and feared greatly. Faith obeys God's command, fearing and knowing the reality that God does what he says he will do. Indeed, Passover was kept by faith. So that, verse 28, the angel of death would not touch them. In other words, Moses gets a word from God, gets instructions and consequences if those instructions are not followed. And by faith, he follows the instructions. Friends, when we open our Bibles and when we see commands from God to live a certain way, to be generous, to not pursue lust, but to to embrace the Lord, when we see these commands... Do we believe them? If we do, by faith, we will keep God's commands. At the, end, at the end of the day, our actions reveal a lot about us and about what we believe. Do you believe God's word? Each of us need to examine ourselves. I'm not going to make a judgment on someone's salvation. That's the Lord's job. But do we believe what the Bible says, what it says about death, what it says about judgment, what it says about continued sin, shrinking away in faith. Do we believe what it says about Christ? I pray, I pray we do. And thankfully for us, the consequences of sin have been fully dealt with on the cross. And now we have faith not in our works. The faith isn't in keeping the commands. The faith just keeps the commands because the faith is in God, you see. However, just because our faith is in Christ doesn't mean that there's not a resulting obedience. If you love Jesus and he's more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card for you, there's going to be a natural obedience that follows through because you, you believe what he is saying. If you remain in him, you will obey. You'll know that he knows best for your life. Faith indeed keeps God's commands, not out of duty, but out of love and trust in what he says, believing that what he has spoken is indeed true. Faith obeys God. Faith experiences deliverance and blessings. By faith they crossed the Red Sea as if on dry ground, but when the Egyptians tried it, they were swallowed up. So now we have this crossing of the Red Sea. God opens up the water, and now they must, by faith, Uh, pass on dry ground, believing that God knows what he's doing and trusting him to do it. And in my opinion, this makes the wheelbarrow example look kind of silly. Okay, these are crushing natural forces that would decimate an entire people group. And moreover, there's an Egyptian military, one of the strongest militaries at the time, pursuing them. This is a moment of total vulnerability and trust. And the Hebrews would have been goners without God. 
Yet they cross over safely. Why? Because God is reliable. And, and they have exhibited faith in Him by beginning to cross, knowing that what He says is true. They wouldn't be decimated because God made a promise. And God was going to follow through on that promise. And when we have faith in God, He will certainly come through and deliver, deliver us as well. It's not military wit. It wasn't power or ability. It was faith in God that resulted in this miracle. Uh, another preacher pointed out that the Egyptians had the same courage, but they didn't have the same faith. The object of their faith was totally different. The Egyptians went right into the Red Sea as well. However, for them, they weren't relying on Yahweh. They weren't relying on God. They were directly disobedient to him. They were relying on their own strength. And it turns out that our own strength is a very bad thing to put faith in. You see, the object of their faith is what made the difference. In one case, the faith was in God. In the other case, the faith was in self. One led to blessing and deliverance. The other to tragedy. Friends, place faith in something worth placing faith in. Something that can truly deliver you and bless you. God promises eternal life for those who put their faith in Christ Jesus. Will you bank on that this morning? Not on your own works, but on the fact that he has already done the work. And would you just live in that deliverance and blessing? I pray you do. Let's move on quickly. The faith of others. Uh, we see... Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people marched around them for seven days. Now the author continues his descriptions of, of faith by talking about the conquest of the promised land. Now remember, Jericho, again, is one of the mightiest and, and most heavily fortified cities of the time. And just like before, they're banking not on their own wit or their own military strength. What are they doing? They're walking around the walls with instruments. That is not a good military strategy, okay? And here's the thing, that shows that they weren't relying on their military strategy. They were relying on the Lord to, to follow through, to take the city, to have the promised land. And friend, the promise of eternal life, nothing you do, no strength or ability likewise, is going to get you there. You have to rely on God. He promises eternal life to those who just trust in Jesus Christ. That is what our promise relies on. <clears throat> trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Again, if you are just obedient in faith, you will see some miraculous victories that God brings about. We also see Rahab by faith. Rahab the prostitute escaped the destruction of the disobedient because she welcomed the spies in peace. Now, now Rahab's quite an interesting character. She's a harlot. She's a prostitute. However, when the spies came, she welcomed them in peace into her home. She quite literally committed treason against her own people and would have been killed if she was found out. What on earth is she doing? She's ex expressing faith in Yahweh, faith in God, the one true God, even over her own government. She feared God over her country, over soldiers, and that is what caused her to hide the spies. She knew who she was dealing with. All, all throughout Joshua 2, Rahab speaks highly of God. And 2, 2 verse 9, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. 
And this is Lord, all capitals in some translation. That means Yahweh. This isn't one of the Canaanite gods. She is referring to a special God. Most high Yahweh has given you the land. And because of this, because she had faith in Yahweh, she hid the spies despite what it would cost her. Rahab the prostitute is in the hall of faith. She escaped judgment. How? Through faith. Friends, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your previous sins. What matters is the answer to the following question. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord and paid the price for your sins? By faith, you too can escape judgment. Believe in the one true God. Believe that Jesus is the one true God and take hold of that promise by faith that he is your high priest who paid the price for your sins and opens the way to a relationship with the Father forever. Faith is not restricted to just a few. We just saw that sort of with the example of Rahab, didn't we? But verse 32, and what more shall I say for time will fail me? And he, he starts listing off even more. But on a similar note, again, we see anyone can have this faith. Faith isn't just something that a pastor has or something that a great leader has. Faith is something anyone can have. Anyone in this room right now can receive eternal life, can inherit that promise by faith. And consider this as well. Nearly all these people that are just mentioned in faith were all had flaws of their own. Gideon was a pretty fearful man. Right? We have David here, committed adultery. Samson, we all know what happened with him and Delilah. And all of these people are mentioned. Friend, you, you and I can be mentioned as well. We can have our name written in the book of life. If we would put faith in God this morning, you too can be recognized as a person of great faith. You too can have God's commendation and approval. Faith will experience amazing things. Through faith they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched quench raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, put foreign armies into flight. Woman received back the dead, raised to life. He sort of just erupts here. Right? There's just so many stories of what God is doing, the amazing things that are happening through faith, not through ability. Think of the rest of the conquest of, of Canaan. Think of the battles won by David. Think of Daniel in the lion's den. Maybe that's what, what's alluded to here with the, with the lions. It even says, woman received back the, the dead raised to life, probably reference to some stories in First and Second Kings. The point, these amazing stories, the audience was well familiar with, these, their whole history, all of it, were stories of faith. They weren't stories of dead works. In every case where God had a commendation, where God did something amazing, it was always done through faith. And friends, God still does amazing things. Will you not, will you have not your will can be, you know, God's not a genie, okay? God's, he's not just going to do whatever it is uh, that, you, that you tell him to do. Oh, I need a Lamborghini. We talked about that already last week. He's going to bring his will about no matter what. But would you have faith that God will intervene on your behalf in bringing about his will? I've seen God intervene in incredible ways. With that said, 
at least on this side of the eternity, it doesn't guarantee ease. We also see this. This is also mentioned here. But others were tortured, not accepting release to obtain resurrection to a better life. And others experienced mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawed apart, murdered with the sword. Indeed, God might have a miraculous intervention as you obey in faith. He might shut the mouth of the lion or not allow you to burn up. And have, you might have a miraculous victory. However, sometimes we see the result is actually trial and death. Tortured, sawed apart, murdered. This is the result of faith? Is this what we have to look forward to? How do we reckon with this? Firstly, our faith is not in a temporal result, but an eternal joyous relationship that is guaranteed by Christ. Really, our faith is in a person. It is in Jesus Christ. It is in God. He is the object of our faith and the eternal result of our faith. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that faith is going to be easy, but I will stand up here and tell you that faith is going to be worth it. Each of those who died, each of those who were murdered, those who were sawed in half, those who experienced persecution, if you could talk to them right now, undoubtedly they would tell you that living by faith is 100% worth it. No death is in vain. No ounce of persecution compares to the glory that awaits. Look again, they're looking forward to obtain a resurrection to a better life. This side of eternity is the faith testing ground. That is it. The true result, what Christ has promised us, lies ahead. Faith recognizes this. Faith doesn't even desire things in this world. Look at the further description. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and openings in the earth. They didn't live as royalty. They were destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. But I, I love verse 38 here, how it opens. We normally say, oh, such a person, destitute, living in caves. They're not worthy of the world. Right? The author of Hebrews just flips it on its head. If, if you find yourself in such a state because of your faith in Jesus Christ, the world is not worthy of you. Meaning you, again, belong to that heavenly city. This is not your home. You are a sojourner here. Nothing on earth could, could you call home. And friends, that's a good thing. Because, to be quite honest, this place stinks a bit. It means your home is somewhere else. Have faith. Sure, it means the world might hate you, that there's no proper spot for you to fit in. That's a good thing. Here's what we see, the last two verses, and we'll wrap up here. Faith's perfection. Faith is applauded in each of these cases, but it doesn't receive the ultimate blessing in this life. And these all were commended for their faith, yet they did not receive what was promised. Again, all of these figures commended for their faith, but they didn't receive the full promise in this lifetime. All this life for them, again, was a test of faith. The ultimate blessing is not happening on this side of eternity. They endured troubles, saw some victories, lived faithfully, but the true promise was not yet a reality for them. Why is that? The author tells us. All of this revolves around Jesus Christ. Every ounce of story, every word, I don't know if stories come in ounces, every word 
in the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. He is the great fulfillment. Here's the reason why they didn't receive what they promised. For God had provided something better for us so that they would be made perfect together with us. The author is now done listing examples of faith in the Old Testament, and now he uses us language. He, he is inviting the original uh, audience, the, the Hebrews, uh, of those of Jewish background who professed Christ, back into the conversation, talking to that audience. And he says, God provided something better for us. What is it? It is the full revelation of God. It is the creator of the heavens. It is the one who is higher than the angels. It is the one who is greater than Moses. It is the one who has a greater priesthood. It is the one who brings a new covenant. It is Jesus Christ. Again, he is the ultimate blessing. He is the object of the faith. He is the one the author has has been desperately trying to show that it is worth persevering for. He himself is the blessing. And and look at this. If if verse 39, it says something better. If that something better is indeed Jesus as implied by the author, then even the Old Testament saints could not be complete, could not be perfected, it says, without the work of Christ. Remember, Moses suffered for Christ, we read. You see what he's, he's saying here? Jesus is the perfecter of all faith. If you have faith in God, it will lead you to Jesus. Jesus is the culmination of that. He is the one who will allow all who lived in faith to finally see the promise, to finally be perfected, to finally get all that the Lord had said they would get. And we are all made perfect together, it says in verse 40. In fact, immediately in verse, uh, ch- chapter 12, the author is going to talk about Jesus being the perfecter of our faith. He's, I'm maybe jumping the gun a little, but he's getting there. Every promise, every true act of faith culminates in Christ. Thus, to the seekers today, I beg you to consider this ultimate revelation of Jesus Christ and put your faith in him. To live in the reality of the revelation of Jesus. If you are indeed seeking the God Most High, not one of the gods, the pluralistic, the God Most High, if you're seeking him, would you put your faith in Jesus Christ? He is the true creator of the heavens and the earth, the greatest possible being. He is the one that you long for. Would you put your faith in him? He is the one who takes away your sins. Would you trust and believe in in that, in the gospel, and live like it's true? Because it is. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this word. Father, right now we just ask that you would be glorified in this place, God, that you would transform hearts, that you would reveal to us our own wickedness and need for Christ, and Lord, that somehow you would transform us, transform our nature into one that that longs for you, one that accepts you. God, we ask for you to do that miracle. We We don't ask for lesser miracles this morning, not 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 today. We we just thank you, God. We thank you for the miracle that has already taken place, the eternal life that you have promised to us is a sure thing. 
We thank you, we worship you, Lord. Let us live like it's true, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.